Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling, and I'm really glad that you've joined us today. In fact, this is the very first episode of the Guitar Speak podcast, so it's a special day for us, so thanks for joining us. Guitar Speak, what are we about? We're about talking to amazing guitarists, luthiers, gear builders, pretty much anyone doing exciting and cool stuff with the instrument we love, the guitar. Now you can subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast feed. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, Guitar Speak Podcast. You can look us up on the Facebooks, Guitar Speak Podcast. Or if you want to send us an email, you can send one to guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Love to get your feedback on the show, any requests or stuff you'd like us to cover. We'd be really keen to talk all about that. Now, for our very first episode, I'm really pleased to present part one of an interview with Sydney-based guitarist Michael Dolce. Now, Michael's a fantastic guitarist who I've known for a number of years. He's been, uh, well, for well over 20 years, he's been playing loads of gigs around Sydney, loads of sessions. He's, he appears on heaps of albums. And uh, in recent years, we've seen him increasingly on our TV sets. So he did a little bit of playing on Australian Idol, and uh, he's been the main uh, mainstay in the guitar seat of the show The Voice Australia. So um, whether you know it or not, you've probably heard Michael playing at some stage. We're going to talk about his early career, how he got established, how he uh, went from, from school to, to a trade to uh, full-time musician work. We're going to talk about how he uh, scored gigs with, with high-profile acts like Andrew Rochford, Delta Goodrum, and uh, what, it, what the process was to get the, the job as the guitarist on The Voice and how that exactly works, how that gig works. In episode two, we get more into, uh, we talk about his technique, we talk about his masterclasses, which are really popular, they sell out all around Australia. We talk about his signature series guitar line from Charles Silly Guitars, which is beautiful guitars. And uh, we talk about his solo album, Everything Till Now. But before we start episode one, part one of the Michael Dolce interview, I thought we'd listen to a bit of the man himself. Here's some excerpts from that album. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for asking me, mate. It's a pleasure 
to uh, be sitting here having a chat with you, mate. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So, um, man, you've got such a, a varied career. I really want to dig into a, a bunch of stuff, but I'm, I'm interested to, sure. to know, um, when did you start playing? When did this whole guitar thing kick off for you? Um, well, at a young age, I sort of started playing. I was about five, six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, influenced by my dad. Um, you know, things progressed, and you know, as I got a little bit older, I sort of started getting into, um, you know, the uh, instrumentalists like Joe Satriani, yeah, um, you know, Steve I, and all those other guys. Then I sort of uh, ventured into the, um, you know, the neoclassical sort of players like Vinnie Moore and you know, Malmsteen and Paul Gilbert. And all those type of players, and I was I was right into that uh, for a while. Yeah, probably in my mid-teens, you know, 16 and 17 years old. Um, you know, at earlier age, I was always influenced by instrumental music. You know, by the Shadows. So that um, that sort of led me to the, all these sort of players because I didn't really sort of uh, get into, or I wasn't um, introduced to guys like Van Halen and um, Hendrix, or you know, all those type of players. I sort of missed out. On the, on the Led Zeppelin thing as well. So I just didn't have it around me. So I sort of blent towards the shadows because that's what we had in our record collection or that's what that had anyway. So um, as, you know, as, as I, I was you know, a young lad, I'd always see uh, the record on and, and listen to the, the the sounds of the shadows. And obviously, like I said, look, it uh, led me to the neoclassical and the Joe Satriani's, the instrumental thing because, um, you know, I always always loved that sound and yeah um and you know and then further on in, in, in you know as i was sort of doing that i was sort of playing in covers bands and and uh you know getting into that sort of playing that but it it, t- it took a while for me to sort of shake the instrumental thing off you know the the, the neoclassical thing yeah and sort of get into the sort of real playing so to speak um when i say real playing i mean like playing for bands and actually playing parts and being a little bit more disciplined, you know, uh, when it came to that sort of style. But, um, yeah, no, it started at an early age and sort of still going and sort of went backwards and recorded my album, Instrumental Thing, and um, and that's where my heart is. It always has been, you know, apart from everything else I do, you know. So, yeah, it was, um, so Hank Hank Marvin was probably was the first uh, guitar hero massive, you referred yeah. at your place. Yeah, massive, massive influence, you know. To the point where, you know, one of their album covers, they all had those black and white Burns guitars. Yeah, yeah. Not realizing they had those Burns Burns guitars, I just went out and bought. Well, my dad went out and bought um, a black and white uh, electric guitar mm-hmm. um, at the time, which I still have in front of me, which actually appears on my album cover. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, is, that the, uh, is that a Mustang? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Not realizing at the time it was you know, Fender was a good name. It's actually it's actually a uh, music master. Oh, okay, yep. So it was like a student level um, guitar that they that Fender released back in the late seventies, mm-hmm. sort of early eighties. And yeah, so my, my dad went out, bought it, and it was black and white. And I just you know fell in love with it straight away. So awesome. it still sort of sits in my rack. Yep. Um, at the moment, nice. <laughs> I pick it up every now and then, but. It's, um, it never goes out. It stays at home. It's a uh, going to be one of those family trophies that you pass on, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. That's awesome. So that's a that was a short scale guitar. Yeah, they're a short scale. Yeah. And funny enough, I actually after I finished recording my album, I, I spoke to Charles Cilia, who 
to make my guitars at the moment. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to make me a strap body for it. Okay. I didn't realise it was a short scale neck, so when he he went and sort of cut it all out and did the route for yeah. it, and I thought, why is the bridge so far <laughs> up? Because it doesn't look right. He says, yeah, it does it. He says, oh man, it's a short scale neck, and I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So I scrapped that idea straight away, and I thought, no, nah, I meant to stay at home. Yeah, right. So that was it. Because yeah. I wanted to sort of put the neck on there and, mm-hmm. and give it a fang around the around the traps, but yeah, it never never eventuated. So back in the rack now. Yeah, right. Cool. That's that's funny with first guitars. I I used to, I loved Kiss. I wanted to be like Ace. So when I finally scraped up some bucks for an electric, um, the first thing I got was a it was a Sakai. It was like a an SG Strat Mutant, and it was vaguely. I've seen it. It had a really yeah. bad sunburst, so I thought it looked exactly like Ace's guitar, which. Years later, I realised was a Les Paul standard, and I'm like, man, that looked nothing like it. But oh man, that's cool. Uh, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned the stack eyes because I actually back we're talking probably early nineties mm-hmm. when I was. Do you remember? You remember um, when we were sort of doing the Hugh Wilson thing? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, well, we did a, a performance at um, I think it was Enabara High at uh, Menai there, and uh, we did like their ten year anniversary. And I remember a friend of mine having a Sakai, and he and I asked him if he, you know, wanted to give it away because it was just sitting in his garage, had you know, collected dust, and he goes, "Oh, mate, you can have it." Yeah. But it was only for, purely for the purpose of smashing it on stage. <laughs> that was the only only opportunity I got to play a Sakai, and it was an SG copy too. I'll never forget it. Yeah, right. And I tell you, I tell you what, it took a beating. It took me a long time <laughs> to get the thing, just to get the neck off. You know, That's couldn't great, smash man. it. Damn, mate, they don't make them what they used to. That's the same, guys. Yeah, uh, pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. So that um, that Hugh Wilson gig you're talking about, that was that. Yeah. That was, was that one of your first sort of pro sort of gigs when you moved moved into it. Yeah. A, well, that. well, the thing was, you know, I at the time was, you know, I, I finished my cabinet maker's trade, so mm-hmm. I'm a cabinet maker by trade. Okay. And um, at the time, I was doing like some cover stuff, as you pr- probably remember. You know, we used to do like uh, TCs and all those. Remember those places that are yeah, Silverwater yeah, and yeah, that? Yeah, Silverwater, yeah, yeah, for sure, played there. Yeah, we used to do sort of random sort of stuff there with Hugh and that. And, mm-hmm. and Hugh always said to me, you know, mate, because if anything, if I ever do anything, mate, you can, you know, I'll make sure that, you know, we all sit together as a band and, you know, I'll get you to play guitar. And I said, oh, yeah, whatever, mate. Yeah. You know, whatever. And sure enough, you know, as you know, Hugh went on Star Search and he ended up cleaning up the whole, whole thing, you know, so... And sure, and I, I just, I'll never forget the day he rang me up at work. You know, I was I was going back. It was just after the summer break, uh-huh. and um, I was just sitting in the factory, just going, "Oh man, this is not for me." It was like one of those forty degree days, and I was like, oh, "God, give me a sign, anything, you know, <laughs> get me out of here." You know, and it made sure enough, wow. get this random phone call. It was from Hugh at the time, you know, and I hadn't spoken to Hugh. I remember going to one of the Star Search shows, and, mm-hmm. and we sort of, because he was so busy and sort of, you know, he was in that world of, of, of the media at that point, I hadn't really spoken to him a lot, and he just sort of rang me up at the time, and he just said, Michael, you know, are you interested in coming full-time? You know, we've got this, this, and this on, releasing the album. Wow. And as he was telling me that, I just, I just looked over to my boss, and I just said, I'm giving you my notice. Uh, <laughs> so, 
And he sort of looked at me going, what are you saying? <laughs> what, what the heck are you saying? So I explained it to him. And everybody knew who he was at the time because Star Search was massive at the point. Yeah. And everyone knew who he was. And he was like, they not all for it. And they knew how much I loved playing music and playing yeah. guitar. So they were like, just go, mate. Go for it, you know? Wow, brilliant. So, and that was and that, was that you know? And then we, we sort of did a couple of years of, you know, doing um, a lot of supports and, you know, a couple of TV things and yeah. the album, which was a massive, massive learning curve for me. Yeah. Under the uh, the watchful eyes of, of Mark Moffat, you know, he, he produced the album. Oh, and really? Wow. I just, yeah, and I just, I learned so much, you know, off, it probably took us, I mean, I think it would have been about four months that this album sort of dragged out. So we were in the studio nearly every day and then, you know, we ended up sort of living out at Belmain with Hugh, myself and Rich Adamson mm-hmm. um, and Derek, uh, Hugh's brother. And we were just going to the studio every day and just, you know, tracking stuff and guitars. And it was just the best experience. You know, I learned about, you know, really honing in on, on parts and stuff like that and how parts work. Yeah. I learned a lot being in that band, a real lot, you know. And at the at the time, it was I was still, as I was moving into that into that world of you know, playing with Hugh, mm-hmm. I I was still heavily into you know the neoclassical thing. Okay, yeah. So it was really it was a hard transition, you know, because you know none of the ideas I had. Yeah. You know, we're working, <laughs> we're working in his songs, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you six, just couldn't fit the harmonica minor over everything. Well, a 16th note runs with the harmonic flavor. <laughs> it doesn't really sort of go down too well when you're trying to play over, you know, a, a Hugh Wilson song. Yeah, a pop tune, you know? yeah. I mean, pop great, tune, great so pop tunes, by the way. He's a, yeah, even then, was a really great writer. He was a great writer. Man. And Hugh's doing great things in the States at the moment. But, yeah, he's super um, busy. Yeah, he's super busy, and um, you know we always sort of keep in touch cool. via Facebook and stuff. So, so he's doing great stuff there, man. I'm forever grateful, you know, that he gave me the opportunity because that's what pretty much set me off, you know. Yeah, right. He gave me a ta- it gave me a taste of 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 that world, yeah. and I was just like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do, you know. Even yeah. after it sort of it calmed down after two years, mm-hmm. it sort of just died to nothing, you know. And I was yeah. left with no jobs, stuff like that, which that led me to, you know, cleaning toilets basically and cleaning TABs, you know, bedding, um, bedding stuff, and it was just like just offices and industrial area offices. I went, I did that for about six months, uh-huh. you know, six seven months. Just went to that, and I sort of, funny enough, I sort of enjoyed it. I know it sounds weird, but I mean, a job's a job. But I did. There was that responsibility of not working for anyone, yeah, and yeah. sort of working for yourself, and and that also. Funny enough, gave me a bit of a taste of well, you know what? If I'm, I'm going to become a musician. You know, I don't have to work for anybody, and I can, and I can just, you know, do my own thing and, you know, play the gigs. I mean, that was the plan anyway, not knowing that it was going to eventuate to what I wanted. So, almost conditioned myself at an early, early stage to sort of, you know, condition and probably convince myself that there was no other way. You know, this is this is where I had to go. So. That's yeah. the thing as a as a musician, as a working musician, yeah. you're, you're a sole trader, aren't you? Really, you're, you're, yeah. You're getting your product out there. You need to get your gigs. You exactly. need to get your your jobs. Same sort exactly. of thing as, as any small business. Exactly right. To do well, you've got to have that sort of mindset. Hey, that yeah, you're running a business. Well, that's the thing, Matt. You know, that's, that's mate. That's that's ninety percent of of you know becoming the, the full time musician. You know, you got to mm-hmm. you got to learn to run your business like like you would. 
you know, if you were a, a cabinet maker or a, or a tradesman of yeah. any sort, you know, you, you really under, have to understand the business side of things because a lot of the paperwork takes up a lot of time, you know, and a lot of dealings with managers and stuff like that it takes up a lot mm-hmm. of time, you know, because you just you, you need to put that business businessman hat on and, and you know and go for it. You know, even back in the days, Matt, when we first met, you know, even when Hugh Wilson's thing died out, I started sort of wanting to play with covers, bands and stuff like that. So I'd just answer to every um, article that was in, um, what was it, drum media at the time, okay. on the street. So this and is like sort of, sort of mid-90s, mid-late 90s? Yeah, mid-90s, yeah. yeah, when I had no work and just you know, sort of struggling to, to get work and hence the, the cleaning job and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Um, so I just applied for a lot of the you know guitarists wanted ads okay. in, uh, in drum media and stuff, and and I was going to probably about five six uh, auditions a week, you know, and just just to get myself back in like in there and just playing with people. And, and my mentality was at the time, you know, if I if I play with these people and they like what they hear, then you know they might remember me for the future. And you know, even if I don't need the gig, if they don't get me for the gig and you know, and it was it was it was a great learning experience that going for auditions because for me even going for auditions and then playing the covers gig and I always always had that thing at the back of my head. You know, I'm just preparing myself for the profile gig. I'm just this is all I'm doing. It's just all preparation. Do the gig as if I'm doing a profile gig. Um, you know, go for the auditions like I'm as if I'm going for an audition for a profile gig. Um, be put on the spot, whatever it took. So to get to that point I would you know bring the bring the people up they would say yeah come in hear the hear the songs learn these songs come in I'd over prepare myself I'd learn the songs and I'd and, you know I'd learn them in different keys <coughs> excuse me learn them in different keys I'd I'd um you know just over prepared like just ridiculously over prepared but prepared for any scenario to make sure that you know I, I didn't have any you know stone unturned so I um, I'd do that, and you know, like nine times out of ten, I'd get the gig. Then it sort of got to the point where I was um, sort of overflowing with uh, people, sort of saying, "Well, you've joined the band." Then all of a sudden, I had all these bands that I was supposed to be in, and everything was crossing over, and I was just like, "Oh no, uh, this is not good." And then I'd sort of keep about three or four of them, and then just tell the other guys, "Look, look, you know, if you ever need me." And everyone was cool about it, and, and that's exactly how it worked because down the track, you know, that's what exactly that's exactly what happened. Guys were calling me just to fill in, and and that's how I sort of established myself. I never went to gigs or tried to sort of, you know, ask people for gigs or anything like that. I sort of started with like that, you know, and then eventuated in the music store at Lombardo Music, and um, you know, I was there for four years, and where I got my first teaching opportunity. You know, I had, you know, I'm not qualified, I'm not um I'm not formally trained in music, I'm just self taught. Um, so to get a teaching job as you would know, I mean you may require some sort of um formal training or experience. And I had neither of those. So Ross Malvado was, you know, kind enough to uh, offer me that opportunity because he'd hear me play in the shop and he'd say, look, Michael, you want to teach? And I thought, man, this is great. So, which led me to doing that and then he'd give me a reference and then i end up getting other teaching jobs. Yeah, right. And it, yeah. Just, and it just cascaded from there. So everything was sort of, you know, going according to plan, so to speak, you know, yeah, for me. Cool. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, I think it's when I when we probably first met, probably late nineties, I guess. And um, yeah. And you were good enough to give me a couple of sub gigs for you. I think I remember you were juggling lots of gigs and. Yeah. Um, yeah. Around that time, was that when the Delta gig um, popped up, or the, we doing some the other Delta stuff gig, before then? Okay, in mid mid nineties, I was still sort of doing like the covers covers thing and yeah. doing a lot of duo stuff at the time. And then later, sort of late 90s, mm-hmm. I ended up getting in Big Radio Dynamite, as you would know. Yeah. Um, hey, Roland. And yeah, go ahead, Roland. <laughs> uh, thanks for the opportunity, mate. And that, and that was an excellent opportunity too because doing even before I joined Big Radio Dynamite, I was doing the duo thing with a, with a guy called Phil Davidson. Oh, yeah, and that's true, yeah. He's a legend. He's, he's great. an absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he... He gave me that opportunity once again. Um, he had a he had a friend that was doing the duo who ended up going to Canada, and I ended up getting the gig through. It was something to do with Dita, I think, because at the time I ended up taking like about a stint of lessons with uh, Dita Kleeman in the mid in early nineties, actually, in the okay. early nineties, yeah. and then I think he sort of remembered me from those lessons, and then. This guy sort of was good friends with um, uh, with Peter and so forth. Anyhow, the story goes on. But um, I ended up going to Phil's, and I'll forget that too, going up to his place and, you know, sort of auditioning and that and we had a bit of a chat. And we sort of clicked it straight away. And man, I did that duo for probably about four years straight. And I, I learned so much, you know, especially with BVs and you know, learning to sing uh, backing vocals. It was just great with Phil. I, I really, really enjoyed that gig. And and then that sort of um, fizzled out, and then which led me to the big radio dynamite thing and, mm-hmm. um, and various covers gigs around town. Yeah, right. Um, and I, every band offered me something. You know, I, I took away something from every band that I played with. Yeah. You know? It was just a different situation every time I'd sort of land into that. And then after, I think after I'd, I'd sort of, um, as I was doing the big radio dynamite, that's when I things started to trickle in mm-hmm. on the more higher profile sort of thing. Yeah, right. Um, the first thing I sort of got offered was, I think was, I don't know if you remember the girls, the S2S girls. Yeah, yeah, and sister to sister, I think they were. Sister to sister, originally. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we were doing like a covers thing around town, and I was pretty excited about that, you know, because yeah. my mates playing in it. It was a great experience, and things started sort of taking over on that end. Mm-hmm. You know, hence why I had to sort of leave the big radio dynamite thing, which was, you know, which was a great thing for me. I enjoyed that. Yeah. And then after sort of uh, amalgamating with a lot of the players, it was a different circle of players once again. It was like yeah. more the R and B sort of side of thing. Okay. And that's where a lot of a lot of the geeks started sort of coming in. Yeah. When I started started playing in that circle of players. A lot of those guys were sort of doing the profile gigs back then, and you know, and it's inevitable if you're playing with with those type of players, they're obviously they're going to recommend you certain things, you know, whatever they think suits your suits your, your style, and sure. and that's what happened, you know. So it wasn't sort of rocket science; it was just being at the right place at the right time, yeah. You know, and, that, and that's how it sort of eventuated, which led to the obviously the Delta gig and, and others, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So if we yeah. fast forward a little bit, so you're doing lots of these more high profile tours. I think you, you toured with, uh, was it Roachford? And, um, yeah. 
Dean yeah. Hines. There's, there's a whole bunch of names, really great names. This is sort yeah. of pre, I guess, yeah. the Idol and, and The Voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the Idol thing, I've sort of only done a couple of guest appearances. Okay. Thanks to my mate Chris Camzellas. Yeah. Uh, at the time, um, yeah, with with the Denny Hines thing and all, a lot of those, a lot of those gigs, man. Once again, so grateful, to, especially the Rotary gig. Yeah. And cool. Funny enough, I was just I was just talking to him. Okay. Two days ago, on, on Facebook by Facebook because I was cleaning up my computer and I and I just came across all these random clips that someone had recorded. Yeah. So I just sent him a couple in the private messages oh, and nice. we having a bit of a laugh and that. Yeah, which is. Which was awesome. He's yeah. just a legend. That that still goes down as one of the the most enjoyable gigs that I've done. You know, it, because he was just it was more a jam. You know, his gig, and he was like just sort of going. It was like a four piece only. Um, he sort of jumped on his keys every now and then, but the back line of guitar, bass, and trumpet were holding it. And then he'd jump on his keys and, and sing most of the time, honestly. But um, he was so encouraging and always just like all about just bringing something to the table, you know, so it wasn't just play the parts and, and play them, you know, verbatim off the record. He was just like, no, bring your own your own flavour, which which taught me a lot, you know. Uh-huh. I was quite nervous, you yeah. know, about the gig because I was sort of asked, I had two days to learn the song. Wow. His guitarist couldn't get a visa, couldn't get his visa in time to come over. So it was like literally last minute and... Because all of those and guitar I, parts were quite um, distinctive, weren't they? They were quite the, oh, really the mate, signatures of those songs. Signature, signature stuff. Yeah, you know, and 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 luckily, lucky enough, he had um, he sent through a live recording of the way they did them with oh, okay. his guitarist yeah. in London and stuff in England, and they were really stripped back, you know, but the parts are still there and stuff, and. I didn't want to. I didn't want to chart anything out. I just memorised everything. So literally, man, for two days, two nights, I didn't sleep. I was just <laughs> like, I'm going to nail this gig. I'm going to nail this gig, and and it was quite nerve wracking for me because I remember in the, in the rehearsal once we started, I thought, oh, man, is this really happening? He was so, he was so um, genuine and accommodating and wow, just awesome. really warming, you know. So he was like, man, I know you've only had two days, and I'm not expecting anything, you know, just. I'm just grateful that you could help me out, you know. I was like, thank you. So it was good, man. So we did the rehearsal and he was pretty happy. So ended up doing two runs with him. He came out, then about a couple of years later, he came out again and we did another run, which was awesome. Uh, so, but that was that was quite enjoyable, that's the thing. Yeah. Cool. So, and then in, um, yeah. was it 2012, you, you landed the job for The Voice, the Australian version of The Voice? Yes. Yes, that was, um, you know, coming off sort of doing a lot of the profile stuff, especially a lot of the uh, contestants that came off Idol. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, I worked with pretty pretty much most of the Idol contestants. Yeah. Um, so it's like Paulini. Um... Paulini, everybody that was on at the time, like Casey, Anthony Kalia, um, did a bit of stuff with Guy when we were doing like the Young Divas. So once we sort of joined that Young Divas thing, obviously they had like Ricky Lee in there, yeah, right. the Rouge, you know, Emily, um, Paulini, and that's how I met all the girls there, which then, and Jess Mowboy, who came in later on. When the Divas thing split up, everyone started doing their own solo career, so obviously the first people they're going to call is the people they're comfortable with, which was, you know, the band, the band from the Divas. Did a lot of acoustic stuff with all of them. 
um, which was awesome, you know. Um, but all those guys, you know, a lot, a lot of the contestants from, from the Idol, from the Idol era. And then, you know, I got the opportunity a couple of times to play with Chris on, on Idol. And of course, I was a big, um, a big rock, you know, group sort of night. So, you know, having three guitar, three guitarists on the night. You know, working with Rex was Rex, yeah, know, Rex go, yep, great. Oh, uh, with Rex and, and Chris. Like Rex is just a freak, and yeah. Chris is just a monster. Fantastic. So, you know, and I, I was really close to Chris. Chris gave me the opportunity to um to do like the full promo run with Anthony Kalia at the time, and okay, um, and I'd known Chris, man, I've known Chris from the early nineties. You know, from when they had those long live the lead break competitions and stuff like that. Oh, That's yeah, where I met yeah. Chris. Yeah, you know, and I always. Well, we, we always laugh about it. And I keep saying, I'm, every time he got up there, I was just like, what am I doing here? You know, because you just blow everyone off the stage. <laughs> you know, and he'd always get to the grand final. And, and uh, but, you know, and, and we used to have these long chats on the voice, you know, when, when, because there's a lot of downtime in between songs. We just sit there laughing about, you know, the old days how he used to come over and we used to jam. And, you know, and just, Chris is just a genuine, just a top, top bloke. With, yeah, cool. With just, Amazing guitar skills, you know. Yeah. And he he influenced me a lot, you know. He was a massive influence on me uh-huh. back in the days because he was doing a lot of the covers gigs back in those days. Okay. Yeah. And and he um he I'd go and see him play at the I don't know if you if you remember that place called the Stuff Club out at uh, Sutherland. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they used to have sort of bands on and on the Friday and the Saturday, and I was playing with Hugh at the time. And um. And then we go on, we do like a support for his covers band, and it was really, really great time, you know, for bands. And I just sit there watching him, just mouth hitting the floor, you know, and I thought, man, I want to play like this guy, you know. He's just yeah, got his wow. sound down. He's just, he's. And then sure enough, you know, like years went by, and then I'd see Chris on TV, and then, you know, we'd always bump into each other, and I was like, man, this guy's just, he's killing it, you know. Uh-huh. And so that that inspired me a lot, man. So I thought, you know what, man, you know, he he's. He put his head down, and so that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to sort of work on it and sort of get myself into that thing. So, you know, many years later, you know, I get a call from Chris, and it's like, hey, man, would you be interested in doing the Anthony Clear run? I was like, man, that'd be great. And we became very close on that on that run. That that lasted a while, you know, because Anthony was quite huge at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, which led to, you know, putting me on Idol, and, and that was like, that was nerve-wracking. I remember yeah. doing the shows because the shows are so full on, man. Yeah. Because they were just like big super group nights. So it was all like Queen, you know, three-part harmonies. And, wow. you know, awesome. The Silver Chair songs. It was just all guitar parts, you know. So it was it was quite quite a challenging thing. It was the first time I'd done something to that extent, you okay. know, with charts. And that was freaking me out. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, something like that should give you, you know, you sort of walk away and it sort of, you know, by theory, you walk away going, man, that was awesome. But, man, I walked away going, I never want to do that again, <laughs> you know. And that's, and that's how I left it, man. So I conditioned wow. myself to sort of think that way. Yeah. But when the when the voice opportunity came up, you know, Scott Applin, who is a you know close friend of mine, we had done a lot of stuff, you know, from the idol thing with the Young Divas and that. And I've known Scotty for years, you know. So we've done a lot of touring together. Yeah. And he got, he got the um, the... The offer, you know, to be the musical director for okay, the show. Yeah. Is he the keys player? Yeah, he's the keys player. Okay. We've got two keys players on there. We've got Adam Stoko who does all the programming for the show and does all the all the um, Paddy sort of stuff, you know, okay. organ, 
yeah. you know, Scotty sort of takes care of piano stuff, and if there's anything sort of jazzy, you know, Adam sort of does the jazzy sort of stuff, and um, Scott does pretty much everything else, you know. Okay. Scotty, you know, obviously does all the arrangements for the show, does all the cuts, you know, works at the keys for the, for the singers, the a lot of work. He's got a lot on his plate, man. I was going to say that looks like a huge yeah. job, like because all your songs oh, get cut down, but you've still got to you still got to yeah. learn them. So you, it's not like you're learning less songs. It's well, no, that's the thing. Well, the thing is too, you know, like you know, when when, when he got offered to do it to be a musical director, I'd, I'd start watching the American uh, voice show, not knowing that okay. you know the Australians were going to pick up on the show. So I was yeah, looking at right. man, these guys, how do these guys do that many songs? You know. It's, freaking out watching him, you know. And then sure enough, Scotty rings me up. He's like, look, mate, I've been offered the gig. He goes, it's not, a, it's not um, out in the media, so we're going to keep it hush-hush. Um, but, you know, I really want you to jump on board with it. Because um, we've done a lot of studio stuff. I've done a lot of studio stuff with Scotty as well, apart from the touring. And um, he was just like, you know, I'd love you to do it. And I was like, oh, man. All that was going in my head was the idle days. You know, the, those gigs that I did with the idol band, I was just freaking out. I was just like, you know what, dude? I don't, I don't think I could do it, you know? I don't want to do it. You're better off getting someone else. And he was like, really? You know, like, and I was like, yeah, man. Get someone else to do it. Yeah, I, I knocked it back, and then by the end of the conversation, he convinced me. And then, you know, three days later, I bring him up going, look, you know what, man? No, nah, I'm not going to do it. And this went on for about... This I went on, I'm not kidding, it went on for about three months. Really? You know? Full on. Of just phone calls of just like, man, I can't do it, you know, freaking me out. And then he's like, wow. all right, man, you know, and then, but then it got to the crunch and he was like, look, dude, this is, it's, you got to make a decision. I need to know today, otherwise I'm going to, and I said, look, you know what, just get someone else. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, are you sure? You know, and I was like, yeah, man, positive, just get someone else to do it. I'm not the guy for it. And then by the end of the conversation, he convinced me, you know, it can be, which I'm grateful. Wow, yeah. For, yeah. yeah. So he convinced me and he was like, well, that's it, man. I'm locking it in. You're in now. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, all right, dude. Yeah, I'm doing it. That's it. And then, mate, I tell you, I didn't sleep because for the time, was, I think it was in October, November. <laughs> okay. I didn't sleep, mate. I didn't sleep for three months because you know, it was just it's too daunting for me, you know, because I didn't know what to expect. I'd seen the... Um, the American version, the expectations. I was like, whoa, man, this is heavy. You know, so I was freaking myself out. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was freaking out because we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Right. But then when the songs started coming in, I was just like, what have I done? You know, this is like (laughs) 145. Actually, the first year was about 150 songs, if not more. Wow. Yeah. And they'd given us about a month to learn them, right? So there was a bit of time (sighs) to learn them. A bit of time. To learn them, and um, it was just crazy because I had to get my sound together. It was just freaking me out, you know. So trying to learn the songs was just night and day, man. Just learning the songs. Because for me, it was all about, oh man, what if I stuff up, or what if, you know? It was just crazy time, crazy time. But you know, we ended up doing it, and you know, knock on wood, it, it was like the band just killed it. You know, the first season, everyone was on their on their game, and we were pretty pretty stoked, and then you know now we're into the fifth season, so it's pretty pretty much sort of you know rocking up at the office and, and yeah, doing okay. it now. You don't really you don't really think about it anymore. You just do it. It's like a cover glorified covers gig, you know. Yeah, right. Which it is, but you yeah. know, I'm very grateful for it. And 
and it's been just a great five years, you know. Yeah, brilliant. That's it's yeah. funny. You should, like by the time you got offered the gig, um, yeah, yeah you done a lot of playing. By the, had you ever had any other gigs where you you had sort of a, a crisis of confidence, like you doubted whether you could? Yeah, pull off well, gigs, like every that, time. I think. Look, no matter no matter how many times you sort of get offered a gig, um, I think I think the key is once I think it's it's that acceptance thing. I think once you sort of realise that people are respecting you and and um, accepting and, you know, um, they know you're reliable and you've done so many gigs at that point where they know what you're capable of and you've got nothing to prove. Yeah, right. I think that's when the pressure just goes straight off your shoulders. Okay. Like you're just like, well, this is what I do, you know, yeah. and you're, you're asking me now, so you know what I do, so there's no expectation. So um, the only expectation is obviously just nailing it. Yeah. Uh, which I'm comfortable doing. Sure. Um, but I think up until that point, it was like any gig I would get, even if it was a covers gig, whatever, I would always go, I would always like, oh man, confidence, you know, no confidence whatsoever. Okay. You know, it was just weird. But once I'd get on there and do it, it was like I felt like I was, it was all right, you know, like it was, it was nothing to worry about. But it's yeah. just the lead up, you know, the anxiety leading up to it and, sure. and all that. But, um, you know, doing the stuff like with Delta exam, like, it, like that's nothing. That's like peanuts. Because, okay. one, one she's, she's so easy, like, in the sense, like, she just respects anything I put to the table. Mm-hmm. She appreciates all that stuff. Um, she doesn't, um, she, that's what she wants. She wants you to bring stuff to the table. So she, you're there because of what she thinks she can bring to the table. And she's not about, oh, I want you to play it this way or play it that way. Okay. So everything cool. we do acoustically, because um, that's the, the majority of the stuff I do with her is acoustically. Okay, yeah. She'll just say, oh, can we do this song? And yeah, sure, how does, you know, I'll do an arrangement. She goes, I love it. Yeah, let's do it. You know, and that's yeah, it. Cool. You know? So there's nothing there. And even, you know, there's times where, you know, you'll slip or you'll stuff up on that. We just have a laugh, you know, because yeah, right. she's more of a mate than... I feel like like she's more a mate than it is sort of playing for a boss. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Like cool. there is none of that. There's none yeah. of that sort of. What did you do there? Or yeah, right. Probably not that man. Uh huh. Yeah, cool. So your career. I mean, even before the voice, like your career looked like you're you're getting lots of work. You're you're doing. Yeah. You've been playing yeah. on quite a few sessions, I think, up yeah. to that stage. But um, it seems yeah. to have opened up heaps of stuff. So, for example, yeah. When, so can you explain when the artists on the voice when they start releasing singles like during yeah. the during the season are, are you are they like the live versions or are you guys going back into the studio and, and recutting those to to release them yeah okay yeah so basically what what we're giving is the cut version which is about a minute and a half to two minutes by the time mm-hmm. we get to the live yeah um so we learn that particular version and then um the working week starts on the monday with the live show yeah. and the tuesday wednesday is the mentoring the reality side of things Okay. We start at about eight AM. We go through to about five thirty PM. So that mentoring time is that just run for you guys in the band? Is that like running rehearsals? It's running well, yeah, the on camera. So the, the uh, coaches come in and they coach the the vocalist, and we sit there. And if there's any changes, it's all done on camera. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So we just sort of play. Yeah. So then when we finish that at five thirty, then we go straight to um, three oh one okay. studios. Yeah. And we record the full length version of what we mentored that day. So if there's key changes or rearrangement of the um, uh, of the actual song, we do that arrangement, but in full length. 
recorded in studio live band. Do you have much time? Like, are you, have you got time for overdubs or fixing up stuff? Or it seems like you've got a lot of stuff to get through. Yeah, okay. So in the earlier times, like, for, for example, there's, uh, let me get through, I think it's 16 contestants that get through. So the okay. Tuesday and the Wednesday, they're divided into two days. So we get eight eight songs per day. Wow. So we go in there, we start about 7, uh, 7 p.m. Yep. And we've got to record the eight songs. Wow. Regardless of how long it takes. That's nuts. So, that is it, nuts. Yeah. Sometimes, man, we like depends how tired like how tired we are, how difficult the songs are. Um, man, we've done stuff in, we've done eight songs like in in a couple of hours, you know? In a few hours at the most we've done eight songs where it's taken us and we've gone through to like three AM. You know, so it depends on the song okay. as well. Sure. And the arrangement and coming up with a new arrangement for the artist. So that sometimes we'll leave the mentor in and they'll go It'll be just like acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. and they you guys figure it out. So we've got to literally reproduce something that we think the coaches are wanting. You know, so okay. we go in the studio, yeah. we're wrecking our breath, so we're all also producing it as well. You know, as a band, wow. so um, which takes up a lot of the time there. But um, minimal, minimal overdub. Um, if there's, for example, uh, between the guitar chairs. Um, the I'll take all the electric sort of stuff, and the other guitarists will take the the um, mainly the acoustic stuff. So um, unless it's like a big electric thing, um, uh, if we're both playing electrics, then obviously we do the parts and we just pull them down. But if he's playing the acoustic and he's and it's an intricate part, he'll concentrate on that, and then I'll just learn all the electric parts, and then I'll overdub over. I'll do my first take through, and then I'll overdub. You know, second pass or third pass if they require it. Yeah, and if there's any any little mistakes in there, if there's a bar or two that you stuffed up in the take, literally everyone finishes their take. Everyone will say, "Here, how'd you go?" Your drummer will say, "Waza, he's normally pretty much first take." Yeah. Um, Nick Sinclair, pretty much solid as well. You know, it's very rare that these guys stuff up. They do, but you know, it's very rare. Guitarists always doing overdubs, <laughs> you know, but um. You know, it's very minimal sort of stuff, you know, a bar here or you slip okay. a chord or, yep. you know. Sure. Um, and that's it, man. But it's very quick. They roll really quick. You know, you, you just got to do it and that's it. You know, you and just change your sounds and stuff like that, which is which is great. And I learned, I mean, you can imagine, man, five years of doing it, just, you learn so much. You learn so much. You learn to be pretty quick at it. You know, just only because you've got no choice. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. Sink or swim. You know, Single swim, exactly. So there you have it. That's the end of part one of our interview with Michael Dolce and the end of our first episode of the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you can uh, subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast feed. You can uh, download us on SoundCloud, Guitar Speak podcast. You can look us up on Facebook. Say hi, have a chat. Ask a question, give a suggestion. We're on Facebook, Guitar Speak Podcast, or by email, guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com. Now, next episode, we continue our conversation with Michael Dolce. We talk about how he developed his technique, how he expanded his harmonic vocabulary, how he ended up having a signature Charles Cilia guitar, which is just a beautiful instrument. 
talk about his masterclasses that he takes around Australia, and we talk about how he produced his first solo album, Everything Till Now. You're listening to a little bit of that now. This is a track called Why Not. Okay, see you next time. <laughs> 